Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that we're able to gather. And um, and Lord, you've been asked to come here, and we know you're here. Father, you, you built this church. You created the ground we stand under. But Father, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit is one that ascends and descends like a dove. Lord, thank you for your presence here. Lord, speak through me, please. Let me get everything right. And let us retain what we need to retain. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Acts uh, chapter 8, or you can turn it on to Acts chapter 8. For most of my college-age students, you know, I always tell people that no, aren't used to speaking at college age. You look around a few hundred students every Tuesday night, it looks like they're all texting. No, everybody carries a Bible on an iPhone or iPad or, um, or if they have one of those cheaper phones that are really pocket calculators, I don't know, galaxies or something like that. Everybody's always reading those things. And, and um, it's amazing how now they, can, uh, they scan our bulletin and on a QR code and all the points pop up and they can read everything. So I understand y'all put, we do a lot of points when we teach in the college ministry. Uh, so some of these points will come up here and then uh, they're put on the, Notes, y'all do that, right? You told me, I think. They put them on, online somewhere, so if you miss something, let me know. Or, well, you don't have to let me know. You can just go online, I guess. I'm that old-fashioned. Hey, uh, I was sitting there thinking about what to, what to speak on. I, we drove back from Passion last night up in Atlanta. It's a big conference up there. We left some of our college students uh, up in Atlanta. And we, uh, a friend of mine and I drove back early. Uh, we, we, we got back in last night, and I was scribbling out some notes on what to speak on, and this particular verse uh, that opens up in the, this particular chapter, there's something in it that I caught a long time ago. It jumped out on, at me, and it, when it hit, it hit in such a way, right, you know, it's one of those verses where, you know, one of those times when you read a verse when something pops out new, you've read it. I mean, you've read it a dozen times, but something jumped out, and there's a couple of times these verses jumped out at me. And where we're going today is this. If you're a person that is in a position or place in life where you feel like there's a prompting of God to do something in your life, could be anything. Anything. There's no formula to life like I thought. When it comes to death, there is no formula. When it comes to mourning, there is no formula. When it comes to falling in love or needing repair in a marriage, there is no particular formula outside of the love of God. So a lot of us have different ways of approaching healing. A lot of us have different ways of responding to what God's doing. So this is critical. This is not just for the person who's facing the big thing. It's for the person facing the very small thing. It's responding to what God is going to have you do. So maybe some of you are thinking about a career change, a school change. You're maybe thinking about um, involvement in something. You may think about following uh, into something or leading something. It could be any one of those things, this is for us. So in the book of Acts, there's a young man named Philip. Philip is about to have an interaction. And what I don't want us to miss in this is Philip is about to do something. But he's about to do something for God in an amazing way. It's a small conversation with a very important person. A person um, of position and power. And when he does this, though, we learn some lessons. Watch how he delivers this message. Watch how he's obedient to what God's calling him to do. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south. 
to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. Okay, watch what he, right here. Look up here at verse 26. You can look in your Bible. An angel of the Lord says, rise and get up and go. But he says this, I want you to go from Jerusalem to, to Gaza, but did you catch that part? This is a desert place. This is a desolate place. This is a miserable place. This is not like, you know, when you go to Arizona, I remember thinking, I hate the desert. You know, when I went to Arizona, I kind of fell in love with it. It was beautiful. But I fell in love with it because I was in my air-conditioned rental car. And I fell in love with it because I could go eat Tex-Mex and go home to the hotel that was air-conditioned. But, you know, when you think back then that this is a desert place, this is not a good place, not a safe place. Oftentimes, God calls us to move into places that are not safe and are not beautiful. And they're well beyond our abilities. When I'm sitting there thinking, what am I doing? I just wish I was... I was sitting where you are with a journal and a pen taking notes from a godly man who's going to get up here and speak. Instead, God chose it in his way to put me up here to speak to you. And I, and I just I sit there and think it's beyond my abilities. You see, the first point I want you to recognize is this. The Holy Spirit asks things of us that are beyond our abilities and often in spite of our abilities. What do I mean by that, often in spite of our abilities? Because sometimes people think that they're able to do a lot of things. And so they do things within their own power. Have you ever heard this, that, um, that uh, you know, we pray God uses people in our, weakness, in our weaknesses, that God shines through in our weaknesses? Well, I, I don't think anybody disagrees with that. Because when you're so weak and you feel so alone, well, who else are you going to turn to? Of course you're going to call on God. Of course you're going to ask God, God, would you speak through me? Would you use me? I'm scared out of my mind. Would you help me? You see, the greatest obstacle to interacting with God is in your strength, is in your abilities. It's saying, I can do this on my own accord. I can do this because, well, I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, I can fool people enough. And so people start to think they can do things on their own. When you want to see a lot of preachers fall, it's because it's, it comes to the fact that they start preaching on their own ability. They start looking at their own abilities and think, I don't need to study anymore, I don't need to prepare anymore. I can speak because I'm going to rely on my own ability. That is where the preacher is weakest. That is where they're most vulnerable. And if you have an area of your life where you think, you know what, I'm being a great father, I'm being a great husband, I'm being a great employer. The reality is, you're in your own strength. And be careful. Be careful. The fun people that preach to are the ones who know they're weak. The fun ones are the ones who say, I recognize I'm weak. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more I break away from codependencies and what people think. I used to be enslaved to that. Everything I did in my life was bent on this, acceptance that you would like me. Everything I hoped to do was that you would somehow look upon me and want to hang around me. And all of a sudden, I got free of that. I broke away from it. And then it it was a gradual breaking away, like peeling an onion back. The layers of an onion would just fall away. And I found out at the core, I found a great big surprise. It's like one of my uh, students used to work at Disney World. I said, how do you like it? She said, it's terrible. I said, what do you mean? You're a Disney freak. I thought you liked it. She said, it was great until I went into the break area and I saw a Snow White dragon on a cigarette in the, you know, in the break area. She said, you know how disappointing that was. Or you know how disappointing it is to see like Disney's not as magical as you thought it was. Well, you know, I discovered a great secret. We don't have to be impressed by anybody. Remember all those people we thought made the, that were just perfect, so functional. So functional, you just felt dysfunctional being in a presence. 
You know all those people that seem to have everything together? They don't. And it's a freeing thing. When you're released from those codependencies of just the strength of what people have on top of you, it's amazing. And then you find out the humor in life. That God uses people who are weak. He uses people who are not so smart. I look around, and Clay, you see me do this a lot. I look around at my college students and think, I never even went to college. I never, never went to college. Never even got out of high school. I mean, I look around and think, I have people that are going in and out of medical school and law school who come in for advice. and It's just, I never thought I'd ever get to such a place. And I still haven't gotten over that. A place where people would listen to me. Because they're not listening to me because I recognize that God is using me in spite of who I am. I was at a uh, men's breakfast at Davis Island Church years ago. I met this men's breakfast. There's like two or 300 men out there. And I looked and I could see amongst all the people, there's this one, one fellow. I looked at him and I looked at him and I knew exactly who he was. I, I choked. He got through uh, the message. And then at the end, everybody's coming up and uh, people are, are getting in a small line and they're coming up and they're saying nice things. And he was about 10 people back in line. And my hands were just sweating. Back to my, of my shirt was stuck against my back in sweat. I, 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 I was just shaking, trembling. I knew who he was and I didn't know if he'd know who I was. And he walked right up to me and he put out his hand. He had tears, he had kind of like glossy eyes. He said, thank you so much. You have no idea how I needed that message. And he went on his way. And I was almost like a ghost shaking the hands of everybody who walked by me. He didn't know who I was. But I remember him. He was the presiding judge the fifth time I'd been arrested. And I'll never forget, before I walked out of that courtroom, he used to be in jail, in and out for fighting and that. And he, would look, he looked at me and he said, good luck. And the last time I saw him was in that courtroom. The last time I saw him, I was handcuffed and shackled for hitting a police officer. And I remember walking out of that room thinking I'd never want to go back there. But I didn't know that soon I'd meet God. Soon I'd find out a whole new life, a whole new way. And all of a sudden, there he is, shaking my hand, telling me thank you. Life is amazing. Life is beautiful. At the end of life, I think a lot of us were going to look back and think, I could have accomplished so much more. But we were imprisoned by our own abilities, and we were shackled by our own abilities. See, the second thing, the second truth is this. Following the Holy Spirit is the ability to, dis- to demonstrate what is possible. The Holy Spirit, God moving in your life, it doesn't come in an audible fashion, but when it does, you'll know it. You'll know it. You hear often, sometimes people say God does not speak in an audible fashion. And I remember Pastor Ken one time said this, he speaks louder than words. Sometimes you just, it is so clear to you and you know it. And so some of you who are making decisions right now where you're thinking, what is it I'm going to do? Where I'm going to go? What am I going to do? You, You are leaning on your own abilities. Make an opening for God to come in and speak to you. Make yourself available to hear from God. That means removing a lot of the distractions that we have. Understanding this, that the ability to de- demonstrate what is possible is up to God. 
Our talents will only get us as far as our talents will get us. Our knowledge can only get us as far as our knowledge can get us. I see valedictorians all day long at events where they say, knowledge is power. Well, that sounds good, but it's only potential power. You see, knowledge is absolutely, comes to a dead end unless you have the power of God doing something with that knowledge. You see, we go through life and we think everything is about circumstances, everything's about people, and we bring that into a church. Churches are full of very hurting people. When I was lost and I was younger, I would look around and think, well, this place is full of a lot of holy and righteous people. Well, the more you get involved in church, you know there's not a lot of holy and righteous people in here. Okay. But you know, what I've often determined and, and seen is you have a lot of people who run towards churches and they bring their baggage with them and they would like to control as much baggage as they can. So what do we do? We fake it. We're all good fakers, let's face it. You know, we... Um, we, we walk in and we give appearance that we're all doing well. But the reality is there's times when we're not. And then you get around churches and you have people that discourage you. I don't know about you. Have you been discouraged by other Christians? I have been. Oh, you shouldn't preach that way. John MacArthur says you can't do this. John, I eventually get to a place of going, I don't care what John MacArthur says. You know, you get to a place of just saying, I'm me. I like me. I'm who I am. And God uses me in spite of me, in spite of my desires to even have your approval right now. God breaks it down. And God says this, I have made you unique. I have given you the ability. I have not just given you abilities. I have given you ability to do great and mighty things. And so what happens is we go to churches, but if we're not careful, we succumb to what other people expect of us. Churches, a lot of times, are full of very controlling people. They can't control the family, so they try to control work. And if they can't control work, they try to control the church. And when I say try to control, not in a way of just a, of breaking the way who you are as a leader, but I'm saying they're the, the wrong kind of control. And you start to see churches try to control each other. The beautiful thing about this church is everybody I've talked to that I walked in said, this is the warmest church. This is the most eating church, somebody said. <laughs> Well, you got the fat pastor, prove it. So, you know, people start at telling me, oh, man, it's, it's such a place where it feels like family. Everybody, everything feels like family here. You know how hard that is for churches to reach this place? For you, it almost seems natural because a lot of churches don't allow room for God to move. They don't allow room for God to come in and do great and mighty things. They're, not af- they're, they're, they're too afraid to be vulnerable. They rely on their own ability. So, there's the desert place. Philip rises up and runs. Look with me at verse 27 through 29. He rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. This is from Nubia in Egypt here. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was returning, returning seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Watch this, verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. Go over and join this chariot. So he looks over. Here's a man of a royal court. He's a eunuch. He's he's somebody who's in a position where he's serving royalty. And this particular person is, uh, is reading aloud. This is very common, by the way. You know, I mean, he's reading. Uh, and at this point, Philip is told, just go over and speak to him. 
those kind of promptings are interesting because sometimes you feel, do you ever feel like, is that God speaking or is it just my head? You ever go through that? I used to pass this guy who was always walking home from work. Big, just ape of a guy. Six foot five, look guy, bandana tied around, no shirt on, just sweating to death, about 55 or 60. And at about four o'clock every day, I'd just drive home and, I mean, just a, you know, you can tell he's working hard. Probably temp labor somewhere going home. And one day I'm driving by and it's raining. He's just yelling and cussing the sky. Or, you know, I'm thinking, man, poor guy. I'm late somewhere. One day I'm passing him and it was like I felt the prompt of the Holy Spirit. Pick him up. So I turn around and venture on looking like a total idiot. You know, I you know, roll my window down in my truck. I'm like, hey, buddy, you need a ride? He looked at me. And the, in the, in the kindest, gentlest, sweetest voice goes, no, thanks anyway. I kind of enjoy walking, but appreciate it. And I remember pulled away from there going, well, there blew a perfectly good sermon illustration. I, was, I thought to myself, here's an opportunity. I thought, God, no, it was just probably my head speaking to me. There's times when you're going to think God is speaking to you at every moment you turn around. Behind every bush will be the Holy Spirit just urging you to do something. No, it could be circumstances. That's why we have to be attuned to the voice of God. We have to be attuned to his sweetness, and that comes through this, through walking with him and praying with him and talking in constant fashion. You have an ability, and I have the ability, to do great and mighty things. And that means when we come to a place where all of a sudden we feel like the wind sweeps over us and God says, move over here, do this, move churches, and you move out here, move your family do you know it's the voice of god you see amazing things happen when we follow the voice of god amazing things but it always happens at a surprise you cannot anticipate the voice of god you see we need to be ready for the surprise visits of god there are times which he'll just simply surprise us in my life, I always thought everything's going to be in front of me. Every, I'm going to walk up to this great monument in life and everything's going to change. A lot of you probably went that way. Well, when you graduate, everything will change. When you get a job, everything's going to change. When you get married, everything's going to change. Because you thought she would change when you married her, right? And then you thought everything's going to change. But the reality is, it doesn't. Those monuments that you think are there, it's really the footsteps leading up to that and the footsteps leading away where you begin to change. Great things happen in our life and great changes happen in our life. But to truly change who you and I are, it's the daily walk. It's daily walking and interacting with God. And these surprise visits can come at 1 o'clock this afternoon. They could come at any particular time. There are times when I could look back and I can't remember what I spoke on last week. I can't. There, you asked me what I spoke on if I spoke yesterday, I, I sometimes I'm like, what is it? What did I speak on? I can't. Ask me, and delete this from any podcast or recording, ask me what Pastor Ken spoke on for the last 100, 100 sermons. Well, I think he said God is good and the devil's bad. I think he got that in there. And, but, you know, I can't recall. Even though, you know, Pastor Ken alliterates. I can't even, I can't recall those things. I have the worst memory on earth. But you know what I can recall? Is being in Publix in lane number seven, and the cashier looks at me and says one particular truth. And I sit there thinking, wow, God spoke to you to speak to me. I, I could be in a particular place where all of a sudden I have one interaction and God just moves in me. Does that happen to you? Where all of a sudden it's those small little moments 
that speak beyond a hundred sermons. It's because those are surprise visits from God, and they happen. We aren't living in a time of silence. We're not living in a time of wondering where God is. We're not worshiping a God that we hope will come down and visit on us. We actually worship and pray to a God that not only hears our prayer, but to a God that listens to our prayer. And by the way, a God that does something to prayer. That's remarkable. That is a living God. That is a God that says, I could have a surprise interaction with you at any given moment. It's watching people rise up and do amazing things. It's watching people in places of life they didn't anticipate being there, and I watched them, and that is a sermon. You can speak on death all you want, but when I watch someone interact with it and live around it and coping with it, that is a sermon I watch. Nancy, when you got up here and spoke about Oasis, every word you say, because I love Oasis, you are, you are a walking sermon, because what I'm hearing is what I've seen down there. And I'm thinking, one in four, I wonder how many of my college girls have been in there. I'm wondering how many in this church have been down there. And you have a place of healing, and maybe you needed Nancy to come up here and speak, because that's a surprise visit from God. That is how magnificent God is. There's times when I've watched us make mistakes as believers, but at times I've watched things rise up and do well. I never forget I was in the, we were brand new in the new church on, on the Bears, or I've been through three churches, three campuses with Idlewild up. Van Dyke, thank you. I'm in Van Dyke. Church is open. It's, a, it's, it's the, the opening weekend. It's packed. Everybody's getting used to the place. And I look and I, uh, I thought, I, like, what is that? I'm trying to look and see who this girl is. And all of a sudden, someone came and tapped me on my shoulder and they started talking to me. Then after about a minute, these, uh, these ladies came to me and, she, and they said, Pastor Jake? I said, yes. I said, um, this lady over here is asking for you. I looked over and she was standing from me to the door and she was dressed like an absolute prostitute. I mean, you know, Short, short skirt, real tight top, black boots. I mean, it was as almost like a costume party prostitute look. And I remember thinking, and now she's asking for me. This is a great career killer, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, yeah? I said, oh, yeah, she wanted to say hi. And I'm walking up, and all of a sudden she goes, Pastor Jake. You know, you can only imagine the two sections there were just eating their popcorn, watching what was going to happen next. And so I looked, and all of a sudden it hit. I knew her. Erica, from, she was, we used to be in our college group, and I, Erica, doing that kind of work. She gave me a big hug. She was completely caked in makeup and that, and she, she hugged me, and she said, uh, I just wanted to come. I didn't know if you were still here. I said, yeah, 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 and, and then I saw these ladies get up, and one lady got up just perfect. I mean, this ad adorned in, you know, Southern women are just the older they grow, the more gracefully beautiful they are. They just are. And she just walked up just beautifully. And I'm watching another lady get up and another lady get up. It looks like a Mary Kay convergence. On, and they, they all walked over, and they walk over to her. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, no. But then they each grabbed a part of her and said, would you sit with me? And, and the other lady, she said, I was going to ask her to sit with me. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, wow. And I saw Erica just glow. People were fighting over sit next to her 
and sat down, and I, when I went on um, that day, and make a long story short, she is now married, oh goodness, how do I get this out, to a youth minister, living in Texas, has two children, active, very active in her preschool ministry. That woman had a surprise visit from God. She came in there knowing her inabilities. She came in there knowing she lacked certain ability. But she walked in, and the surprise visits from God probably did not happen from the pulpit that morning. It happened from the rank and file of people getting up and saying, would you come here? Would you sit next to me? It's those surprise visits from God where this Ethiopian eunuch did not anticipate what's about to happen. Pick up with me in verse 30. Verse 30, so Philip, catch these three words, ran to him. He ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited, um, that means to call along one side, by the way, that particular word. He invited Philip to come and sit with him. And now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth. Again, keep in mind the Ethiopians trying to understand this. Verse 33. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. See, people would read aloud often. And, and so he's reading Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. And, and Philip starts explaining things. He says, here's what you need to do. And, and all of a sudden, he, what he is doing is not only interpreting Scripture... And explaining what this means, but he is also coming alongside. He's coming alongside. The man invited, I want you to come alongside me. Non believers are always asking believers to come alongside, they just don't say it. They're not going to ask you, come in and help me in this particular place where I'm dirty, messy, feel absolutely disgusting. I don't feel worthy of being here. But they're going to say it in how they project it. They do all the time, even when I didn't believe in God up to 23. I mean, I believed he was there. I had no clue you could have a relationship. But I tell my college students that grow up in church all the time, you would better know how to defend this faith because everything you grew up saying you believe, I chose to believe at age 23. I chose to believe this. I chose to believe there was a great big old ark. I, was, I, I chose to believe that there was Jonah in the belly of a fish. I chose to believe, but, well, we kind of skirt around those things. You can't skirt around. You've got to be confident of this. There is only one thing to be confident of, and that is the Lord. Anything else is lack of confidence, even if you hear confident delivery from non-believers. I see it all the time in people. People say they don't believe in heaven. They don't believe in heaven. Oh, no, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in heaven. But tell them they might not get there, and they get real offended. It's interesting. I mean, you, you sit there and think, well, I thought you didn't believe. You know, I, I, I see people being unmasked everywhere in life. I watch it constantly. This brazen, well, I can't believe anybody would believe there's one way. But yet, they're clamoring for one way. They still know how to get there. Sometimes they're calling for you to come alongside. Had a waitress come up, uh, well, this lady came to come the tree Tuesday night. There's a college service. Said, How'd you find us? She said, a um, bunch of your people from church came, and they invited me. And there she is, like, I'm, well, what do I do now? What time is church on Sunday? 
I'm like, it works? <laughs> I didn't know you could really invite a server and they'd come to church. I mean, we don't get that that often. Most of the time people come, they come because a friend brought them. But to come alongside means you come alongside. It scares me of people offering to take people to church, but they only leave like a 10% tip or something. It, it scares me when people say, oh, I want you to experience God and who we know it, but I've never invited you to my home for dinner. All right, I, I want you to experience the love and joy and peace that God has, but never smile. You see, there's an image that we project and there's an image we live. And for people to look at you and say, I want you to come alongside of me, we have to be positioned. The goal of the call of God is his satisfaction, point four. The goal of the call of God is his satisfaction, not simply we should do something for him. How about that? I was kind of impressed when that one came out, by the way. I'll read it again. The goal of the call of God is his satisfaction. Not simply we should do something for him. Watch with me in verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Wow, this is, what, is he lining it up? Is he throwing him a softball? It's perfect. In verse 35, Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? We skip to verse 38. 37 is in some Bibles, but sometimes it's not. It's in the manuscripts of some, but not in all. So um, particular ESV that I read from, or NASB, don't, that doesn't have it. And he commanded the chariot to stop, verse 38. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And he came up out of the water. The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. And it goes on to say in verse 40, Philip found himself in a town called Azotos, and he passed through and preached the gospel in all the towns he came to, to Caesarea. It's all clear. Whenever you have an interaction with God, whenever you see the sal- or present with the salvation of somebody, everything is crystal clear. It's perfect. It seems like there are, it, there are times when I, and I experience that. It's when I'm around a family who's experienced a death. When you're, around exper- when you're around that, nobody's ever talking about the 401k or whatever balance in a checkbook. You don't think those things. Priorities are in line. When you are walking with God and hearing from God and going, doing what God would have you do, it's amazing. Everything is in order. Had you told me I'd have been a minister at age 22, when I was running around Ebor and being stupid, I'd have laughed at you. If you had told me that I'd have been a Baptist minister, you've got to be kidding me. And then all of a sudden, feeling that calling on my life at age 33 was a crystallization. And now if you said, people come around me all the time and say, hey, talk about the old days when you started. I used to have a, a small, be a small business owner. I have no desire to talk about that. None. What do you want a business for if you don't have God in your life? Well, can you talk about um, when you did this? No, not really. Why would you want that if you didn't have God in your life? See, my priorities have changed. My desires have changed. I couldn't give up the things I didn't think I could give up. You want me to give all this up? Because sin is fun at the moment. You really want me to give this up? I can't give this up. Then all of a sudden... It's a change. It's a complete desire change. You don't desire the things you used to desire. 
but it comes on us in different ways. See, remember who life is about, not what life is about. Remember who life is about. I mean, the goal of this church is not to grow, it's to glorify God. And if growth happens, it happens. But I want you to be aware of anything that competes with God. Sports are competing with, your, with God, be careful. If business is competing with God, be careful. How about this one? If church is competing with God, be careful. All of us grab a hold of functional saviors. All of us do all the time. We have functional saviors in our work. We have functional saviors at a pulpit. We could have a functional savior where all of a sudden we are replacing our true savior with whatever feeds us of our need. What is ever meeting our particular place or filling a void, that is a functional savior. Remember who life is about. Six, when, we, when confronted by spirit and truth, our priorities are in order. When confronted by spirit and truth, our priorities are in order. This means uh, I'm a list person. I don't know if a lot of you make lists up or not. The short-term list, short-term goals. I have legal pads all over the place. The yard, the, yeah, everything. But you know, I didn't start, I have a to-do list everywhere, but I didn't start a to-be list until about five years ago. When you work on a to-be list as opposed to a to-do list, you'd be amazed how much your to-do list changes. Those things that wear you out, those things that disturb you, you forget about them. I know I pull up to my yard, it looks like a crack house motif landscaping, but it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I walk in and show, so there's a cobweb here and there, and, you know, it doesn't bother me as much as it used to. I'm half bald and busting out of my next suit. Yeah, guess what? I am working on the inside first. I have a lot of lists. I have a lot of things. Sure, I want to lose weight. Sure, I want to do this and do that. But in the end, I understand that I'm trying to work on being as opposed to doing. And all those things that were driving my schedule, driving my life, they don't control me anymore. Those functional saviors are gone, wiped away. There was a man that was uh, on an aircraft carrier in the Indian Ocean. He was working as a, uh, as a deck on a deck crew. He was blown off the deck of the aircraft carrier into the Indian Ocean. He didn't have a particular safety harness on, which all of them were required to have. Um, the battle group circled and tried to find him. They could not. Until 72 hours later, a Turkish fishing trawler pulled up beside, beside him, yanked him out of the water. He gets on the deck. What is the first thing you think he asked for? Water. How ironic. Submerged in water that was absolutely of no use for him. Couldn't do a thing for him. May have even taken his life within hours. And the very first thing he did was beg for real water. The reality is a lot of us are so submersed in life that we forget who real life is about. We live for the what in life, but we forget the who of life. We, we live in, 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 in circumstances and in people that drive in our life, but the reality is we know deep down there's only one source that can save us. There's only one God. There's only one who. There's only one to be. 
Remember who life is about. When confronted by the Holy Spirit, truth and priority is in order. And how about this one? The one thing that destroys faith in some gives birth to it in others. Sometimes you see that faith is, is destroyed in some people, it seems, because something happened. But in actuality, it, it, for some people, it builds up their faith. Some people look at their past, and they say, this is who I was. And they define their entire existence based on that. Look at Isaiah 43. It's two verses in 18 and 19. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way to wilderness and rivers in the desert. Did you catch that? Behold, I'm doing a new thing. It springs forth. Do you not perceive it? That is interaction. That's God moving in our life saying, do you feel it? Do you sense it? Meaning that God does just not simply move us. As in this particular case, when he was moving Israel, he does not just simply move people and say, this is where I want you to go. He enjoys the interaction. He enjoys looking upon you and, and, and being with you and saying, do you, do, do you feel this? Do you see why I'm doing this? We tend to believe the impossible, but can never seem to believe the improbable. We tend to believe those things that are impossible. It's, it's no possible way I can make it to today. But we don't believe the improbable. The improbable is this. The difference between something being impossible and improbable is improbable are all those things that you and I affect you and I. We don't think we'll ever attain happiness. We don't think we'll ever t- attain fulfillment. That's not probable. I don't think... I don't think my life will ever be at a place where I feel just peace. That's an improbability for a lot of people. But people can believe the impossible. People can go out and buy lottery tickets all day long and, and yet know that when they walk out in the, in the field of lightning, that their odds of getting hit by lightning are what? Something like 20 times greater than winning a lottery ticket. And folks, it's impossible. For years I bought lottery tickets. I didn't make it impossible to win it's improbable that i would ever be used by god to come up here and speak to good people like you but god breaks down impossibilities as well as those moments were improbable there's there, there's this was written on a little prayer card one time this girl wrote this she said i can believe there is a great and powerful god but it's a total leap of faith for me to believe that he cares and he'd want to intervene in my life. People have that ethereal high view of God when they're lost because they know somebody runs the show. They know somebody's calling the shots. And we preach in here a high view of God, which is so important. But the reality is our great and mighty God moves in incredible, in incredibly well in improbable circumstances. But people can't see that. People look at God and think, no, there's a distance. There's no way. But sometimes we need to stay, take a step back. Point nine. Sometimes we need to step back a little to leap further. Sometimes we need to step back and go back to the basics and ask ourselves, what are we doing in our life to allow God to speak to us? What are we doing in our life that allows God to just move in our life? Are you moving so quick in the world of religiosity? Are you moving so quick in the world of, of circumstances? Are you, move, are you a person that is looking more to tomorrow than you are the enjoyment of today? Are you a person that wakes up almost dreading what today is going to bring? Are you a person that looks to the weekend and says, if I can just make it to the weekend? 
There's been many times I fell in every one of those categories. That life drove me. My schedule drove me. I would try to fit in time with family here and there, but everything drove me. And then all of a sudden I realized I had to take a step back. I had to take a step back where maybe I loosened my rein on, certain, on the controls of life and I just found something happened. God leapt me into areas I never thought possible, like sitting here about to preach. Ten, our response to the Holy Spirit will have more purpose and impact than we can ever imagine. Ever imagine. These are four quick little things that, and we, we close, and here they are. When responding to the prompting of God, we are challenged to do this. Here it is. Number one, to bring the message of Christ when the Holy Spirit directs us. That is when we are obedient. To make clear from God's word what others cannot understand. That is discipleship. So when God says, Philip, I want you to go over there, that's obedience. When he says, I want you to, to make clear what, 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 I'm, what the Bible's saying, that's discipleship. To come alongside others to share in our success, that is mentorship. That is somebody saying, let me show you where I've been. Some of you who, who are older can look at younger people and say, let me, let me show you some basic things. It's, again, it's not the sermons they'll remember. It's the small things. I remember being a kid one time, walked up to my, uh, one of my neighbor's uh, house, and they always, they were just like aunt and uncle. Back then when we grew up, we called everybody aunt and uncle. It wasn't until I was in my teens to find out they weren't really aunt and uncles. We just called them that. And I remember going to see uh, my Uncle Fred, and I said, hey, can I, uh, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just making some stuff in the, in the shed. And I walked over, and I looked at these tools, and there, all these tools were everywhere. It had the smell of, y'all remember your father's shed? grandfather's shed it just the tool shed it just kind of had the smell of oil and diesel it was like a cologne they should really mark it and it's beautiful and i walked in i said this is great I said, what do you do with this he looked at me he said we well, you know what these are i said no what do you make with this he, said, he looked at me i'll never forget it he goes i make friends with this come on and at 80 something years old he picks up these tools and sat down with me and i'm up on a stool and my feet can't even touch the ground but i felt so good felt so rich he mentored me and didn't know it some of you are afraid to disciple because you don't have a 12-week plan <laughs> neither did philip neither do a lot of people that change our lives because remember your life is so much more powerful than mine i mean if there's a weak believer and visitor and new person in here what do they expect a preacher to say well, he better say something godly for 30, 40 minutes, right? But they don't expect you. They don't expect you to come along their life and rock their world. They don't expect you, the person who says, I'd never speak in public. They don't expect you, the person that says, no, nah, I just don't have much to give. They don't expect you. But God wants you. And God wants to direct you. Start mentoring, discipling. And lastly, to create stable communities in which the terrible disease of loneliness can be cured. And that is friendship. I have learned a lot. I've learned that life was not all about this world. Then when I gave up this world, I learned life is not all about theology. I learned that being a machine gun preacher with scripture doesn't necessarily change 
the world. It comes in odd ways of moments of interaction where you don't expect it. It's following God in the least little whisper. But some of you are saying, I, I can't because of a particular place I'm at, and, and I'm wrecked in this temptation, I'm wrecked with this life, I'm wrecked in doubt. The greatest thing I love to be around our college-age students is I get to address all those things I know they're going through. They doubt, and that's a good thing. Well, they come from a lot of churches that tell them, don't you doubt. Doubting it does a lot. Doubting leads to questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to confidence. That's how you get to confidence is through doubt sometimes. There's no sin in that. And I tell them there's a, it, it, it's, it's a place of failure, too. You know, there are a lot of churches around this country that are great places to succeed, but terrible places to fail. I would like to think that in our college group, when somebody messes up, that this, this was a, such a time as this that they failed here. And I'm glad they failed on, on my watch. I get a call on Monday and say, hey, you know, I had a bad weekend. Immediately, I go to hcso.com, look up their mugshot, and I'm like, yep, been there before. And I, uh, what happened? I said, well, this is what happened. And my first reaction is not disappointment. It's not anger. I've got to tell you the truth. It, it's excitement. Because that person's at a place more ready in life for life than they'll ever be. That person is ready for change. This is a place where we don't just allow people to succeed. It's a, a place where we show them that failure is nothing more than a learning opportunity and fertilizer for growth. But people like you and me who aren't getting arrested anymore, sometimes wonder how God would choose to move alongside a guy like me, a person such as ourself. Ashton, you've heard me tell this story. It's, from, it's actually from the day and era which Nate, you, and Daniel are in a college group. Um, there was a, I got a phone call. It's three in the morning. And it was so long ago that it rang on the, on the home line, you know, back when people had home phones, you know. And uh, the home phone rang, and, and uh, the fella said, uh, is this a Jake English, Pastor Jake? I'm, oh, no, what happened? Somebody, you know, something happened to somebody at 3 in the morning. You'd hope they're not calling you, asking you, what does Ezekiel, you know, whatever it mean, you know, and, or some question about Scripture. You, well, what's the matter? So, well, my roommate left a note to, to call you if he wasn't back in 48 hours, and he's not. And he said, uh, you, you would know about this and you could help him. I said, I, yeah, did he say where he is? And he said, yeah, absolutely he did. He gave an address. It was on 22nd Street, right off of Bears Avenue. He gave the address. And what was going on was a USF basketball player. And he was strung out on crack. He just could not break a crack addiction. He'd go two or three months. He'd go back to crack. And so he left a note. He heard me speak in chapel one day at a USF basketball game. He said, if I'm in a mess, call this guy. He said I could call. He left it with his roommate. He said, he said call this number, and uh, he'd come get me. And so he called. The roommate called and said he's not here. So he gave me the address, and I knew I was going to be going into some kind of a crack house. Now, years of ministry now of college students, I've been in and out of crack houses now towards nothing unusual to kind of go in and you know places like this it's what happens when you kind of you're in a 
frontline ministry, and but this is my first time. And I'd been involved in a lot of bad stuff when I was younger, but I'd never been in a crack house, you know. So I got the address. It was right back of that Taco Bell on Bears Avenue on 22nd. I got there, and I didn't even know, I didn't even know what to do. What, what's etiquette for walking into a crack house? Do you knock? Do you, you know, do you open the door? And so I'm standing there looking at this thing. It was freezing outside. I remember sitting there thinking, I'm here, I'm in my overcoat, I'm freezing, and I'm looking at the doorknob. I'm like, what do I do? I can hear everything going on. I'm looking at the address. And so I knock, you know, ever so confidently, right? Knock on the door, nobody. I go sit in my truck. I'm thinking, my legs are like jello. I've got to get in there and get them. I have to get them. Um, I'm not going to call the cops and get them in trouble. That's just, he trusts me to get them. Finally, I walked over the door. I'm banging on the door. This guy opens it. He just opens the door. Doesn't say, welcome, come on in. He just opens the door and it flies open. So I take that as my cue and I walk in. I'll never forget walking in this place. It was as cold as it was outside. It was so hot inside. Condensation was all over the windows. I just remember the wall unit just pumping out this hot air. And it was like just almost like a disgusting food court of just drugs. There's meth and heroin. And there's about 15 people packed in this place. And all of them in there just to do business. Nobody's hanging out. Everybody's just in there to get high on something and strung out. And I looked over, and me to halfway through the, the church here, I saw this fella, six foot seven, big old tall. I mean, this guy, six foot six, maybe I exaggerate a little bit, big tall fella. And his, he's so tall, his knees are just almost at his head. He's sunk in this couch, and he looked over at me. And it was the most pitiful look I'd ever seen. But when I saw that look, when I saw that look, remember the jello legs I told you about, the nervousness, the energy? It's gone. There's the most determined man you'd ever seen in your life i looked over and i saw him and i knew at that moment nothing was going to stop me from getting him it's all of a sudden this guy slides up right in front of me he says what's up nothing i'm coming for him he says here who him right here and he said was it worth to you and i responded in a way that didn't really sound like a Baptist preacher, but I responded in such a way to let him know I'm coming for my friend. And he stepped aside. And I walked over. And his name's Eric. He'd tell you the story. It's part of his testimony. He looked up at me. And I remember helping him up. And he just kind of, you know, I mean, he's hanging, he's just draped on me, hugging me, you know, and I'm holding him. I'm thinking I'm holding him like right out of his waistline. He's so tall. And I'm holding him. You know, rear end sticking out that way. He's like leaning over to me, and I'm just like, and he's just, at that moment, that moment, there's nothing else in there. Nobody. Just me and him. And we walked out that door. And two things hit me. You know, the first was when we got to the traffic light. Right at Bears and... and and 22nd. About to turn right to take him to Campus Lodge. He looked at me and said, I didn't think he'd come for me. And I never had anything hurt so much. What do you mean you wouldn't think I'd come for you? You really think I wouldn't come for you? There's a gr- <laughs> you know how much I love that rescue. 
you know how much I love the fact that you trusted me? But the reality is we look at God and think sometimes, I just don't think you'd ever use me. I didn't think you'd ever possibly rescue me. I didn't think you'd ever possibly take over my life. But the reality is, can you imagine the hurt we give him when we say that? Because he breaks improbabilities. And we follow a God that runs to us. But then I left there, and I remember thinking that the second thing is this. I wonder if there was someone in that room who just had hoped in the most unarticulate way but in the recesses of a poor, broken heart and mind. I wish somebody would come get me. I wish somebody would walk through that door and pick me up and take me out of here. We live in a world. We live in a society that you drive by every other home. There is someone in that home who's watching the TV or sitting at their kitchen table wondering what someone rescued me you and i have been given an amazing ability to hear the voice of god and when we do when you know it's god you run you run in that direction not knowing what you'll say not knowing what you'll do not knowing what interaction will happen but you'll have found something you'll have found that god still moves through people as improbable as it sounds with you and me would you pray with me Lord, thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, for such a patient, wonderful group. Thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. Thank you, Lord, that you are one that um, empowers us to your truth. Lord, thank you for uh, Pastor Chris and all the leadership. Thank you for the sweetness of this church and the way they welcome me and they welcome your word. God, move through our life that we would just be able to be more discerning to your voice, more discerning to your prompting. The Father, when we hear such a thing, when we feel such a prompting, Lord, when we know it's you, Father, we'll run. And Lord, we'll anticipate that you'll know exactly what to do with us when we get there. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.